This audio recording is of our regular Sunday service, August 20th, 2017 at Restoration Road Church in Snohomish, Washington. The speaker is Brian Dixon. More information can be found at restorationroadchurch.com. Amen. Amen, and thank you for being here with us this morning. If you're a guest with us this morning, it's a special thank you and welcome to you. Um, As uh, Mark prayed, uh, we are going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 4. We are finishing up this letter, we're in the last uh, few verses, uh, verse 9 through 22, so I invite you to get your Bibles, open those up, uh, and we'll go through that. If you don't have a Bible, there are some at the welcome desk in the back, and also just as you walk in that front door, there's Bibles there. So if you don't have one, I invite you to take that one and use it, and if you really don't have one, you don't have a Bible at all, that's our gift to you. Please take it and, uh, and read it. But again, this morning we'll be in 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting at verse 9. Uh, and as we go through this, um, here as we teach and preach, we usually will pick a book and then go through the whole thing, verse by verse. Every awkward verse that come, we come across, we go through it. And we just went through Genesis a little while ago, so things got awkward. So it was a lot of fun, though. But uh, This morning, again, the same thing is true. As we have this final instruction from Paul to Timothy, this can be kind of one of those times where you gloss over it. It's kind of like, okay, yeah, it's no direct, you know, teaching that affects me, I guess, so what's the big deal? Let's just skip it. But as Paul wrote uh, just a few verses prior to the one we're going to read this morning in chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture, all Scripture, Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So because that is true, we can walk through verses like we will this morning and God will use those to bless us. God will use those to teach us and equip us and even convict us. Bring us to places where we see the things that we need to work on in our own lives for the glory of God. So that is why we go through this. Um, As we do, I'm just going to warn you ahead of time, there's some weird names in here, and I'm probably going to butcher them. I'm just going to throw it out there because I did first service. It was a little little comical, actually. But All right, so let's read together. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9 which says this, Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Torres. Also the books and above all the parchment. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through him the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom to bring to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Ananophilus. Uh, Eurastus re- remains in Corinth, and I left 
Trophimus, who was ill, in Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Um, Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Prudence and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. This is God's word. So as you go through this letter, uh, Paul begins by expressing his affection for Timothy. Paul and Timothy have been in ministry together for a very long time. And um, again, as the, as the letter begins, Paul's expressing this love for Timothy. He's reminding Timothy of, remember what God has done in your life. Remember the partnership that we've had. I've seen God work in and through you. So be strong. Engage God and his grace. Entrust the message you've been given to others and endure. And enduring for the gospel is the main theme, the overarching theme that we see throughout this whole letter. Endure for the gospel. What's really cool as you go through it is you see, and Paul does this, he just uses real life situations and people to illustrate what ministry and ministry for the gospel is all about. In chapter 1, we see he mentions um, in verse 15 that you are aware that all who were in Asia turned away from me. But then he goes on to talk about those that were faithful, that you can trust to give this message to. And you have this up and down kind of uh, uh, journey that he has been on, especially in ministry. And he's sharing this with Timothy. And they are, uh, and he's expressing to him, encouraging him, uh, exhorting him, Endure. And the source of that endurance is rooted in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That is where your strength comes from. That is where your strength comes from. To share in the sufferings as a good soldier, you need to go to Jesus. You need to remember Jesus. You need to preach Jesus. And you need to endure through the work of Jesus. Now, as we read through and as we've read through our text this morning, we now get the snapshot of what endurance actually looked like for Paul. This is what it actually looked like for him. This is, this is what he's actually going through. And so less about this is what to do and how to do it, more about this is what I've gone through. This is where I'm at. And so as we go through this and we, and we kind of break down this text a little bit, my first point this morning as we go into it is this, that Christian ministry or the Christian life is relational, therefore it is messy. And we see right away, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. He also talks about men that are still faithful but have had to be sent out. They need to go and and help different churches that need to be built up and encouraged in the gospel. Paul finds himself alone often in ministry. And we see that sometimes that's because those that have been by his side decide to leave. And Demas, as we read in our text this morning, we're not sure exactly the specific reason. He's in love with this present world. But, as you look at working with Paul, working for the gospel, especially in Rome at this time, it was not easy, to put it lightly. It just was not easy. In fact, 
Paul is where as he wrote this? Prison. Paul is waiting to be executed. So the weight of ministry to follow in Paul's footsteps, to be trained by Paul and to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ means your life is going to be hard. And for Demas, it was too much. And he left. But Paul had this understanding that Christian relationships are not simple because life isn't simple. Life is hard, it's weird, it's uncomfortable, it's confrontational at times. Because that's true, why do we act surprised when our relationship with other Christians is the same? Paul in our text this morning sharing where he's at, very aware of this this relational tension that happens, that being in relationship is messy, it's hard, it's not easy. He makes this statement that's actually pretty remarkable after he talks about Demas, after sending out some guys to do some work. He says, get Mark. Go Get Mark. Little history behind their relationship. In Acts chapter 13, we see Paul is going to go on his first missionary journey. He's setting out. He's got Barnabas. We're like, let's, let's do this. Let's go. Let's preach the gospel. Let's plant some churches. And, and let's advance the kingdom of God. And let's bring Mark. Let's have him. He's on the team. Let's do this. They go. And while on that journey, Mark pulls a Demas. He's like, peace, I'm out. And he leaves him. And it made such an impact on Paul that Paul just was upset. He was hurt frustrated. Later in Acts 15, as he is looking to go on his second missionary journey with Barnabas, Barnabas says, uh, yeah, let's do this. Let's go visit the churches that uh, we planted. Let's go encourage them. And he says, but uh, I want to bring Mark. Paul says, no. I don't trust him. He left us. Why would you want to bring somebody who left us, who abandoned the ministry? Well, it says they had a sharp disagreement. Surprise, surprise, Christians can have sharp disagreements. But what I find kind of cool about that text is though they had such a sharp disagreement, Barnabas and Mark still went on a missionary journey. Paul still went on a missionary journey. Why? Because the gospel is that powerful. The gospel is that important. That yes, right now we can't work together. We need to go separate ways. Because the gospel is so important that we can't just stop what we're doing. We see that messy Christian friendships can still be useful for ministry, though. God is using every situation, every relationship that we're in to proclaim who he is. Even the messy ones. Get Mark. Get Mark. What happened from that time to now that he would be requesting the one who left him. Obviously, Mark had proven himself, had got back in the ministry, had worked hard in such a way that Paul was like, yeah, this guy's on the team. He's back. He's ready to do this. In fact, bring him with. Why? Because he's useful. 
useful for ministry. This relationship was messy, is messy, is weird, but God can use it and will use it to advance his gospel. He will. He will do the same here in our church with our relationships. God is working in and through us to advance the gospel. He is working in and through us in ways to bring us together to display the love of God, the grace of God, so that the world might know that there is something greater than this. So Paul, we see in, he is lonely. Being a minister of the gospel can be lonely. We also see in verse 14 that he is strongly opposed. Now Paul is not, this is not all a surprise to Paul. This letter is coming at the very last one he's, he's writing before he's executed. He has had a lot of time in ministry in a lot of hostile places. He has had a lot of people oppose him. But he brings him up. Be warned as you come. Come as quickly as you can. And as you do, be aware of this guy. He strongly opposes our message. And it's interesting, you know, that he brings him up. He talks about him. He's like, man, this guy, he must be intense to have to bring him up. You think about where he's at again. He's in Rome and all the many gods that they worship. And being the coppersmith, there's a good chance that his income came from making idols. Fashioning these together that people can worship false gods. And here comes Paul preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ that there is one God who is living That all these idols that you worship, they can't hear you. They can't see you. They can't speak to you. They don't know what's going on in your life. But there is one who does. Alexander's like, ah, hold up. Wait a minute. So what does that mean for all these, you know, idols that I made or at least contributed? Maybe. Tear them down. Tear them down. Because there's a living God. Alexander wanted nothing to do with that. This affects my income, it affects my life. If you can imagine, just like if this is his profession, most likely this is what's going on for him to strongly oppose this message. And again, we see uh, Paul's in a place where he's lonely, uh, strongly opposed, but also just deserted. Again, Demas has deserted me. But he talks about this as well. At my first defense, verse 16, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me, may not be charged against them. Paul is talking about his first hearing, his first time standing before the courts in Rome, and no one came. Now think about this for a minute. We know that Luke is there. And based on verses 19 through uh, 22, there's quite a few others that are there as well. Everyone deserted me. They left me in my time of need. And we see Paul is teaching Timothy, take on the spirit of Jesus. And we see that displayed as he says this, do not hold it against them. Do not charge it against them. 
How crazy is this? I mean, think about it. He mentions these people who are like, hey, by the way, let, uh, let Tim know we said hi, right? It's like, uh, no, you write your own letter. You deserted me. You abandoned me. Why would I mention you? Why, why, would, why would I do that? Yet Paul does. He mentions them. Like, here are the brothers, all the brothers that want to say hi to you who miss you. And for us this morning, it's so important for us to see this. Because I believe Paul is trying to show Timothy, you are go- this is going to happen. Because you're in a relationship with people, it's going to get messy. It's going to get weird. They're going to abandon you. They're going to depart. You're going to have moments in ministry where no one's by your side. But be like Jesus, who when no one was by his side, said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. My second point this morning is Jesus is the only reliable friend. Again, Paul says in verse 17, but the Lord, I love this, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed to all the Gentiles so they might hear it. See, God cares more about the advancement of his gospel than Paul did, than we do, than any other Christian. And God works in ways to what? Strengthen us in our time of need. Why? So that the gospel can go forth. So that people can know and hear about the real, true living and active God who calls them friends. That was perfect timing, by the way. You can text your friend back saying, well done, well done. Jesus being the only reliable friend who stands by our side when we need him most, who strengthens us when we need him most. And here's the thing, he is the only one that can do these things. Often people get mad at each other, frustrated with one another, because why weren't they there for me? Why didn't they do this? Why didn't they do that? Why did they say that? They should have done this. They should have done that. You might be right. It is the church's job to come alongside one another. But let's be clear about something. They are not your Savior. I am not your Savior. The person sitting next to you is not your Savior. Jesus Christ is your only Savior. He is the only one that can stand next to you when no one else can. He's the only one that can strengthen you when no one else can. And you need Him more than you need your brother, more than you need your sister. That is where we need to go and be strengthened because it's that friendship that fuels our friendship with each other. Without that friendship, I do not know how to best love you. I do not know how best to walk alongside you. And it's because of Jesus, we are trying the best we can to mimic him, to follow him, to act like Jesus, to come alongside one another and help each other. But we are not Jesus. We are going to fail. Relationships are messy. Remember that 
to follow Jesus. Jesus said this, if you're going to follow me, you need to take up your cross and carry it. To follow me, you got to take up your cross. There is a cross we have to bear. We are called to bear one another's burdens, but I can't bear your sin. Jesus did that. You can't bear the sins of somebody else. Jesus has to do that. And we have to let them. We have to let people get to that place. You need Jesus. He's the only one that can bear the sin you're going through and forgive that sin and give you strength to endure and overcome. You need Jesus. I can encourage you. I can help. But I cannot be the one that saves you that strengthens you. You know, often people will, will walk away from the church. They will walk away because people didn't live up to the expectation that they weren't Jesus, essentially. They weren't there for me. They didn't do this, they didn't do that, they didn't do this. Okay, there are times when it's like, wow, huge fail. Church needs to own that, things of that nature. But often, there is an uh, unrealistic expectation that somebody needs to act like Jesus. I, I, you were supposed to know how I felt. I can't read your mind. I have no idea how you feel. You got you to tell me that. I got, you know, like, and those kind of things are expected. You know, you weren't there for me. You didn't call me. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. I, I'm sorry. I had no idea that that's what you needed. How can I, how can I help? How can, how can we move forward together? But remember, go to Jesus. Jesus is the only friend, the only reliable friend, or as Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you or forsake you. This is a truth spoken by our God. Think about, I mean, just think about this. Let's go to John chapter 15 together. John chapter 15. Jesus says some really cool stuff in this chapter. And he's speaking to his disciples. John chapter 15, uh, verse 12. So it will be. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. By the way, we need to be commanded. Jesus needs to make that commandment because without it, we won't do this. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is known than this that someone would lay down his life for his friend. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. What is he commanding then? That you love one another. No longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me but I chose you and appointed you that you should uh, go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I've commanded you so that you will love one another. Jesus' closest friends, he teaches them, I command you to love each other. Because here's the thing, as we move forward in ministry, as I leave you and give you my Holy Spirit, you are going to have to remember and need this because you're going to want to abandon each other. 
you're going to want to depart. But remember that if you love me, you will follow my commands. What is my command? Love one another as I have loved you. This is hard. If we're being honest, this is hard. Really, Jesus, can we just anything else? This is my commandment. Have good church attendance. Oh, sweet. Okay, that's great. This is my commandment. Go and do good things. All right, sweet. This is my commandment, that you would love one another as I have loved you. Oh, okay. You went to the cross for these guys. Wait a second. This is sacrificial. This is willing to admit wrongs. This is willing to go through the fire with somebody. This is willing to sit down and have hard conversations and yet come out of it saying, you know what, I still love you. I'm still willing to walk with you because I have a Savior and so do you that never left us, never forsaked us. Even though we were far off, even though we weren't looking for Him, even though we were still in darkness, He came and gave us His marvelous light. And as 1 John 7 talks about, we walk in the light as He is in the light. We have what? What's the promise we have? Fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus forgives us our sins. We literally, we have fellowship with each other and we live in that freedom and joy that is only found in Christ. Without that, we can't do it. Bottom line. Without that, we cannot do it. We need our friend Jesus who fuels our relationship with our brothers and sisters, our friends here. And remember, his command, if we are followers of Jesus, if we love Jesus, then we will follow his commands, which is to love each other. He also says to them that the world will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. Love is powerful. In our world today, with all the uncertainty and hate and, and, and anger that's being uh, displayed towards one another, no more have we needed to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that is fighting with itself, tearing itself apart, even using Jesus and his name wrongly in, in such an anti-gospel way. But the gospel of Jesus Christ calls us to love each other, no matter where, this doesn't talk about like, oh, as long as you guys agree, as long as you guys are similar, as long as you guys kind of, you know, like, you know, can play ping pong and not yell at each other, you know, and it's good to go. It's like, no, it does not matter. You are the, in the family of God. You are now brothers and sisters in Christ. Therefore, you treat each other as such. You treat each other as such. One of my favorite songs is What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And listen to one of the lyrics to this. is, Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? Yes, everywhere. We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. So take it to the Lord in prayer. Jesus knows our every weakness. 
take it to the Lord in prayer. My third and last point this morning is trust your life and the life of others to God and His grace. You see in the last verse, verse 22, Paul expresses to Timothy, he says, I give you, give you to God. You are not mine. I can tell you to do all the things I want to tell you, but you belong to God. Therefore, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. I can't make you do anything. And guess what? You can't make me do anything. I'm not going to perform the way you, you want me to. Nor should we expect that. We should be willing to hand each other over to the Lord. Our lives, our very lives. Jesus, my life is yours. You know what? So is theirs. Therefore, I will, I will pray my guts out for this person. Because I long to see them have relationship. I long to have relationship with them if I'm out of relationship with them. But ultimately, they belong to you, God. They're yours to deal with. So would you, in your grace and in your mercy and in your love, do your work to the Holy Spirit? My uh, job here, I'm full-time here at the church. I oversee our music ministry and our counseling ministry. And as you can imagine, as I meet with people, it's typically around relational conflict. Why we're getting together. It's like, all right. And I'm... So, I shouldn't be surprised, but I am at times very surprised at how often, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we will always, not always, but we go after the flesh. Well, I did this, and I said this, and they should have done that, and they should have known, because I did that, and they did this, and we did this, and that's how it happened. I'm like, okay, so instead of trying to convince them, what if you appeal to the Spirit of God that lives in them? What if you prayed, again, your guts out for them? What if you were willing to lay down some of your frustrations and let them in, as Jesus did for you? What if we acted this way? What if we trusted our lives to God and trusted their life to God and said, you know what, you can do a work that I can't, Lord. I can't, really, I can't heal this relationship. I can't. I know I can't. But God, you can. Because all things are possible through Jesus. And he cares more about our relationship with one another than we ever will. He wants us to be unified. Paul uses the analogy of the body, the body of Christ that works well together. And that's not just so we can like come together and all of a sudden move as this one body. It's like, Kumbaya, and everybody's like, we're so happy. Like, that's not the point. The point is to move in strength with one another for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that that would be proclaimed, that people will see that it is more about God. He is our treasure. He is who we love. Not all of this. We are trying the best we can right now to do the best we can with what we have, but there is a living and active God whose word is alive, been breathed out by him. And it's through this word we now know who he is. He is working in me now. He's working in you now. He's doing things that I never imagined he would do. Why? 
so that the gospel will be proclaimed. That people would know about Jesus. Because Jesus cares and wants more and more friends to come into the kingdom of God with him. So for us this morning, as we consider this passage and what we learn from it, what we draw from it, what we pull from it, be reminded that our relationships and our Christian life is relational, therefore it's going to be messy. Do not be surprised at the times you have tension with one another. Guess what? It's going to happen. And if you're not convinced of that, I don't know what to do for you. (laughs) But read the Gospels. Watch how the disciples treat each other. How often they end up at odds with one another. And Jesus teaching them and walking them through what it looks like to love each other. But our relationships will be messy. It will be hard. But we have a friend in Jesus that is reliable and fuels our relationship with one another. In fact, I would go as far to say as if you're out of whack with somebody, if you're you're not in, in good relation with somebody, I would challenge you to really honestly look at your relationship with the Lord. If he's the fuel for that fire, then how much are we utilizing that? And lastly, we need to trust our lives and the lives of others to God in His grace. Like Paul ends his letter, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Paul's, I have shared everything I could. I've done everything I could. My hope now is in God continuing the work in and through you. Because I can't do that. I can't make you do anything. I can't make you endure, but I know the one who can. And I know if you trust in him, if you follow him, if you go after him, if you have relationship with him, you will endure to the end, even if you're all alone. So I encourage you, church, as we come to the table this morning and partake in communion, let us be reminded of Jesus Christ and the life he lived on our behalf how he died for our sins, the only one who can do this, and then rose again from the dead. This would all be for naught if he didn't rise from the dead, but he did. And because he is living at the right hand of God the Father, we come and we remember, as he taught us to, remember his broken body for us, his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. We also reflect on our own lives. We are called to be an honest people, people who speak the truth to one another, who take time to reflect on where we're at in our walk with the Lord and be honest about the sin that might be prevalent that we need to confess. First and foremost to God, and if to a brother, then we go to the brother. But really take time this morning to think through that. And I challenge you with just our text this morning, if there is a relational conflict that you find yourself in, to really evaluate your heart in that. Jesus, help me be honest here. As a good friend, will you help counsel me through this? What should I do? How have I wronged them? What should I lay down like you were willing to do that I might be saved, that I might be loved, that I might be part of your kingdom? And lastly, we rejoice. The table is to remind us we are a people who rejoice. 
We are not alone. He has not left us as orphans, as Jesus said, but I have come, and now you are part of the family of God, and because of that, we have hope. The Holy Spirit of God lives in us. Our King is coming again. I get pumped about this. I'm like, oh, it's going to be so cool to watch that happen. Yeah, Jesus is just like, whoa, so rad. I want to imagine in that moment that I'm going to be like, check it out, guys, so cool. But I'm probably going to be like, oh my God, he's coming. <laughs> like, it's going to be so pumped. He's so good. But let us be reminded of that kind of joy that is in us. Because we are not alone. He is coming for us. And as we come to the table, be reminded of that. This is God's word for us this morning. Let's pray.